Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. I'm Anna David, and I interview actors, writers, musicians, and other creatives about addiction, recovery, and sharing their dark to find their light. Well, I think that all my heroes were drug addicts. This podcast features both the interviews and the stories. The interviews often share the dark. The stories often share the light. Oh, yes. I had eight butt cakes while watching 35 forensic files, but I did not drink. Are you a light hustler? Keep listening to find out. And I was like, really? Like, that's you? That's that's it? That's what I am? I'm just bad at being uncomfortable? So simple, and it also makes me feel like it's such a dick. Hi there, you're listening to Light Hustler, a podcast about addiction recovery, sharing your dark to find your light. Uh, I have one of those episodes that's from a Facebook Live interview that I did. This is a juicy one. Uh, we talk about what it's like to get mugged when you're in a blackout, uh, how you can raise $5 million while getting sober, and how even when you have a so-called tiger mom, it still can't stop you from developing a drinking problem. This is an interview with Kevin Chu. Um, he is a tech titan out in New York, and um, he's a wonderful guy. That's all I'm going to tell you. He's going to be he's going to be two years sober by the time this comes out. So that's my interview for you today. Uh, we talk at the very end of the interview about Kevin's book that is on his bucket list that he's going to write. If you've got a book on your bucket list, take my quiz, find out if you should be sharing your story. Does it belong on your bucket list? I'm guessing it does if it's there. Just go to futureauthorquiz.com, take the quiz that's there. Once again, futureauthorquiz.com. With that, I give you Kevin Chu. First, hi guys. We're live. How are you? I, it's Anna David, New York Times bestselling author, recovery advocate. You could say I'm sober a hell of a long time. I do these interviews regularly with people here on this page about their addiction, sobriety, recovery, mental health, all of those topics. Just what you want to be talking about at 1015 Pacific Standard Time on a Monday morning. Am I right? Um, so if you like the people in your life, please go share this on your page and so they can see it. If you don't like them, by all means, do not tell them because this is a really great and different episode for me. This is my guest, Kevin Chu. Hi. <laughs> as in a chew. He yes, did, like he, a sneeze. He just taught me that. And, um, and, and I'm really excited. He is this just badass tech entrepreneur, millennial, not even a millennial, like you're younger than a millennial. Are you Z? Uh, no, I would say I'm, I'm 27. So is that, is that a millennial? 
I don't know. I don't know these things. I just know, I just know that you're young and successful and you live in New York and you do tech and you're not the typical person that I have on this show. And um, just from interacting with you briefly over email and just talking before this, I can just tell you, you're going to have such an interesting, interesting uh, story to share. So welcome, Kevin. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. I'm really excited and looking forward to this for weeks. Oh, and Richard's here. Richard's excited. What's up, um, Richard? So, so let us get into it. You are going to be two years sober next week. Yes. And you have had, by your own admission, a problem since about the age of 12? Uh, 13, 12, which just sounds really bad. But I would say my first drink was in eighth grade. And even then, I... I had like 15 beers, was completely plastered in uh, my friend Christina's uh, house when all of her parents were gone. Um, and yeah, kind of just went downhill from there. You grew up in Orange County. Yes, I did. Orange County, Laguna Beach area. And so, and so you wrote when we were writing back and forth, I loved how you told me you had this like tiger mom who kind of kept you on the straight and narrow, but not <laughs> when you were a kid, right? So tell me what happened. So you grow up, was it a very strict family? Uh, so no, she was definitely tiger mom the whole way. Uh, and then thankfully she married a white guy and then my life got significantly easier uh, because we we're, I mean, I grew up in Laguna where they, all of my friends were, you know, American and white and just had a much more easy life than I guess kids who grew up in you know China who have a little bit of a hardcore schedule. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, in comparison to some of the other kids, I think I definitely had it a lot easier growing up in a nice suburban area with, you know, in Laguna where, yeah, but my mom was definitely very hardcore strict Asian. She'd send me to Chinese school on Sundays. I'd have to like memorize dictionary things every Sunday. And if I did it wrong, I'd have to clean the house four times in a row. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that answers wow. your question. Do you have siblings? I do. I have one older brother. He He's actually my co-founder and CEO of the company. Okay. So, okay. So, so did you rebel against this strict upbringing or did it keep you in line? Uh, I don't know if I was trying to rebel against it. I think I just, I don't know. This, I was like just kind of born in a way where I like to have fun and I'm a little bit more risky in general. And it wasn't because my mom would put strict criteria that made me want to rebel against her. Uh, I think also the kids I kind of hung around weren't, you know, they're still my good friends, but they definitely were uh, kind of hoodlums, uh, you could say. Real. So, okay. And so was your mom like, you've got to stay away from that John. He's terrible. <laughs> uh, she definitely said that uh, quite a few times throughout my high school career. Um, I don't know. As an example, like I would be 14 years old, freshman, and I would get dropped off at home with, and my friend would walk in, he'd have a, you know, full sleeve tattoo and two pierced ears and like some Asian mom who had never been familiar with this type of stuff is just like, what the hell is my kid doing? Yes, my sweet Kevin, what's yeah, happened to him? Basically. Um, but, but uh, did you realize you had a problem that early on or you just thought you had fun? Uh, I definitely didn't think I had a problem, especially when I was in 14, 15. So I had several fake IDs by the time I had gotten to sophomore year. I was able to buy alcohol, sneak into bars, whatever the case. And, you know, at that time, you're not really thinking about, you're not very like self-aware and all the things that you're doing that probably seem really shitty later on. Uh, and it wasn't until I think like college towards when I was 21, 20, where I was starting to think, 
okay, like I definitely party a little too hard. I started to keep track of it in this note folder, uh, like the iPhone notes app that you get. And I just started writing down every single time I'd have a really bad drinking incident. Uh, And then by the time I got around the 25, this list was massive. Um, But I think, you know, you've probably interviewed a lot of these people, right? Whenever they... They never really go to the full extent where they think like, I have a problem and I need to stop. It's just more of like a surface level thought. And then, you know, they have a rough day, weekend comes along and it's just back. It's just like a vicious cycle. Well, I'll tell you, I have never interviewed anyone who kept a, a notes in their iPhone about bad <laughs> drinking incidents. Um, so that you are awesome. And so, and so then what happened? So you, did you go to like Stanford or something like that? Where'd you go to college? Uh, I went to college at Cal State Fullerton. Uh, so, okay. su- so surprisingly, you know, I'm, I didn't get like the smart or book smart gene as most Asians would get. I was very more street smart. I never went to class. Uh, my mom would, I mean, we didn't pay a whole lot for Cal State Fullerton. It was like $3,000 a semester or something. And I was just, you know, I was one of those guys who'd like never go to class, but get just enough good of grades to graduate because I think you know, for me, my mentality was, I'm not trying to be a doctor. I'm not trying to be a lawyer. I knew I wanted to just get into tech sales, move to San Francisco. And there is no real GPA requirement to do that career. So, yeah, I was a very kind of similar student. So you skate through, you do four years, you get you get out, right? Yep. Did you have fun during those years? Uh, I did have fun, but I didn't go to the type of like school where you had the whole college experience. It was very much a commuter school. Um, my first year there, I did join a fraternity and then got into some trouble. My mom was, you know, told me, she's like, if you don't drop out of this fraternity, I'm not going to pay for your college anymore. So I dropped out. I didn't really have a choice. I think making like $10 an hour at Bank of America was not going to pay for it. Um, and yeah, so I, I did have fun. But then once I dropped out of the fraternity, I was just commuting back and forth to school and then just again, hanging around, you know. my friends, the hoods, uh, the hoods of Laguna Beach, super hood. Um, (laughs) And then just doing my same old, you know, trouble stuff. And um, okay. And so then what happens is, did you find success? Okay. So let's explain, because I don't actually even understand. If I read what you do for business, I still wouldn't understand it, but it's a tech company and you were able to raise $2.4 million for it. So we've raised five and a half million dollars to date uh, and they're a process of, you know, raising more because in tech, you just kind of like always be raising. But yeah, so that's um, did you want me to explain? The yes, company? I do. So the simplest way I would explain it is it's a customer success platform that helps tech companies reduce customer churn. So cancellation and an increased product option. So like uh, an example I typically give to people who aren't familiar with this space is If you think Spotify and Uber, they have millions, if not billions of customers. And some of these customers are at risk to going competitors, right? So like Spotify has iTunes, Pandora, which nobody really uses, but Apple Music. And there's lots of people. Oh, well, (laughs) some people use Pandora. Uh, You may be their only user. Um, I think I am. But they need a way to segment their customers and understand which ones are at risk by looking at data points such as, how many times are they logging in? Are they making playlists? If they follow Drake, did they listen to his new album? Because if they're not, they may be listening to it on a competitor. So once they segment these users that are at risk, we give them the ability to engage with them and essentially increase their adoption to get them to come back. 
That is hilarious. At risk is just at risk for leaving. That's all that means. Exactly. So if you ever like, if you're ever using your Uber or Lyft app, some people have all of them downloaded, right? To get like the best price for a ride. If you ever get a notification that says, you know, hey, 50% off, take a ride now for the next five days. Those are all, you know, different various of engagement strategies that a, um, a company will do to their customers that are at risk of going to a competitor, or maybe they're not spending enough money with them. Hey, Lyft is always sending me notifications and I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm not, yeah, I'm not so in the mood to use you. Yeah. Yeah. So you're an at-risk customer. I'm, I'm, well, and you know, whoever, Spotify screwed up with me if I'm using Pandora and I'm the only one. Now, but are you, but are there other companies that are doing this? Are you saying when we get those notifications, that's because of your company? Uh, so there's a lot of companies, I mean, there's companies doing what we do in different spaces. So the space that we target is B2B enterprise. So like businesses that sell to other businesses, the Uber and Spotify example I gave is more like consumer. And I think at some point we'll get to that space. But right now, this is the best like entrance that we could do and capture a lot of market share and then transition um, once we've capitalized on that aspect. So our direct competitors, we have two to three, which isn't a whole lot when you're talking about SaaS technology. But in the grand scheme of things for customer data platforms that allow companies to either market to them or send push notifications, uh, there's quite a lot. Um. So, and did you see Lara Ann Frazier is saying, I love this guest, saving so much later. I did see that. <laughs> Thank you. I'm flattered. Um, now, okay. So, so you and your, how, how do you get from Cal State Fullerton, shitty-ish, but good enough <laughs> student to raising millions and millions of dollars for this B2B company? Uh, so yeah, I graduated college with like a 2.2 GPA, uh, super embarrassing, but you know, I'm pretty open about it because I feel like the things that they teach you in school aren't necessarily the things that they, you need to be successful in life, which is like how to interview, how to negotiate, how to sell, how to get a promotion. And those are the things that I learned in the work life experience, um, getting a real job and, my brother and I, we've always wanted to start a company together, but we just didn't really exactly know what. He has always brought a lot of ideas to me, most of which were really bad. Uh, but then he came to me with this idea of customer success platform, which is incredible. So I'll give you some quick backstory on that. He was working at a company called DigitOcean here in New York City, uh, one of the fastest growing cloud software companies. They do well over seven figures in revenue, raised over $200 million, and he was leading the customer success team. So his team was responsible for growing the revenue as well as making sure customers don't cancel. And while he was there, he looked at a few of the competitors that we compete with today, and this was four to five years ago, and he was like, yeah, I'm not going to pay hundreds of thousand dollars for these monolithic applications. And he built something internally with his team. Uh, and by the time I ended up joining him at DigitOcean to build out the sales team, uh, that was still the case. So towards the end of our tenure there, we were going to leave. I had gotten a couple of job offers from other tech companies. He was interviewing and then he calls me over to his apartment one night. I live right next door to him. So he's in 1A or he's in 1C and I'm in 1A. Uh, we're very close. Yeah. yeah, very cute. And then he, I walk in. He's great at making decks. And I just see this deck and it's about the comp like what is now Catalyst. And I was immediately sold. So we bought a ticket to San Francisco right after. And we were thinking the fundraising process was going to take, you know, nine to 12 months, which is what you read on Google. And within 30 days, we had, 
you know, about five term sheets. Uh, our, our round was oversubscribed and we ended up having to push it to two and a half million dollars at a pretty decent uh, valuation. Uh, and then it just happened really fast. So now fast forward two years, we're 14 employees, uh, going to grow to 30 by the end of this year. And then we raised another round uh, from our partners here called Workbench in New York City, who've been incredible. And yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a hell of a ride, but it's only going to get more fun. Wow. So I would love to credit that to your alcoholism because I like to always think that like alcoholics are the most intelligent, motivated, amazing people around. But it is also do you how much do you think because you got sober in the midst of that? Yeah. So it's funny. Um, I always tell people the two hardest things I've ever done in my life was one, quit drinking two, start a company. And it just so happened that I needed to do both of them at the same time, uh, which isn't ideal. Uh, so I started the company in pretty much January 2017. Between the time frame of January 2017 and May of 2017, I would say my drinking problem was at an all-time high, um, or it was like peaked. Uh, I would drink maybe a few bottles of wine a night to myself and you know, sometimes just black out and then just wake up, go to work, super hungover. And it was to a point where my brother was telling me, he's like, dude, I, I, you definitely have a problem. And even though I had that notes list in my iPhone app, I was like, it just wasn't enough, you know, to get me to really say that I had an issue. Um, so I was just in pretty much denial. But I think I would definitely attribute a lot of the success that I've had, if not all of it, to, to just to quitting drinking. Um, because I think had I not, I wouldn't have been able to reach, you know, 100% of my full potential to do a lot of the things that I'm doing today. And in order to build a really successful business, like you have to be 100% there, like me mentally. Um, yeah. And um, and so you we were talking briefly before we started, you don't do a, a program like how did you stop? How were you able to stop? Yeah, so I don't do AA. Uh, I definitely went to a couple of meetings when I stopped drinking. And the thing that I like to tell people, so like I have a lot of friends from back home and they tell me that they want to quit drinking because, you know, that's if you have a problem, you you'll like have this one night where you wake up blacked out or whatever. And you're like, oh, I need to stop drinking. And the first thing I tell people is that's great. You probably won't. Uh, just to be straightforward, right? A lot of people say they'll do it and then they don't do it. It's just like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym because I want to lose 20 pounds. 75% of people never are follow through. And the one thing that I think really, that people really need is this traumatic event. Honestly, that will just shake your world upside down to make you have no other choice. Uh, and that's pretty much what happened to me was I had always wanted to stop drinking. Um, the first time that I had stopped, it was like, four or five years ago, I remember blacking out. And then I woke up in my apartment and I was just like doors wide open. My brother walks in and he's like, what the fuck is going on? And I have no clue what happened. Uh, and so I watched later on a video camera security footage from my front door. Um, and I get mugged out outside of my apartment. And I'm sitting there watching the security footage like, oh my God, thinking, wow, like I, this is, this is bad. Uh, but then I tried to quit drinking then and I only made it 30 days like that. Wait, hold on. Hold yeah. on. You got mugged and you didn't know you got mugged till you saw it on security footage. Yes. That's pretty bad. Right. That, I, this is crazy. <laughs> Were you, did they steal everything? Were you hurt? No. So they, so there was two people. Um, they walked up to me and there was, 
it was like 4 a.m. New York City. I live in a pretty safe, I live in West Village, so it's supposed to be safe. Yeah. But I think that's where they go to mug, you know, drunk, drunk people. Yeah. Um, and they walked up to me and this big guy like kind of pushes me against the wall. His, this girl walks up to me and they're like obviously tag teaming me here. And she gra- reaches in, grabs my wallet, but I'm incoherent at this time. And I can see my wallet in their hand and then they walk off. Um, and then that was it. Like they didn't put a knife to my neck or anything, but I didn't remember any of that. And I never even called the cops because, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just reading Richard's uh, comment about a guy falling asleep in a salad. Uh, haven't done that yet, but um, I never called the cops because I was thinking, you know, like I deserved it, right? If, if you get that drunk and don't even remember that that happens, you should you totally deserve to lose your wall. And they spent like five grand the next day on my credit card, which I got back. Uh, but it was definitely eye opening for me. And then even that wasn't enough. So it wasn't until January of 2000 uh, or May of 2017, where one night um, I ended up just getting so blacked out that I woke up getting dragged out of my own apartment by five cops I have no idea what's going on. I'm getting handcuffed to, I can't believe I'm saying this on like live Facebook or whatever, but I'm very open about this story these days. I get handcuffed to an ambulance truck and I could have probably blew like a 4.0 on a breathalyzer, whatever, like the max that like I would have broke that thing. And as soon as my hand hit the steel, like, you know, pole, like getting handcuffed, I was just sober. Like I was just whole, I was thinking, holy shit my life is, you know, a disaster right now. And fast forward, like never drink again from that day on. And that was what I call the traumatic event that I think everyone needs to have. For some people, it's maybe you're about to lose your wife, you're about to lose your kids, you lose your job. And there's moments where you can take that and just learn from you, like become a really strong person, or you can let it eat you alive. And I went to an AA meeting like a week after that. And I remember walking into this room and I went to two, one with like adults and then one with like young, like kids, teenagers, whatever. And the I was just sitting there and I was looking at all these people and they were in bad shape. And it was very emotional for me where I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm not this bad yet. Like I don't wake up just wanting a drink. Um, it's more of, you know, on the weekend when I have one drink, it turns into a thousand. And I just told myself, I don't ever want to be, I don't want to be in this room ever again. And I told I just never did it. Uh, And I said, I would figure out whatever it takes to do it. My life depended on it this time. So Mm -hmm. I stopped. And so that's a fascinating story. I do want to clarify a couple of things. Well, I want to say, I agree with you. It's just that the traumatic event can be different for everybody. I mean, someone can have a traumatic event that's just in their soul. They want to die. It doesn't have to be handcuffed to an ambulance. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it could be anything. Like everyone has their own version of a traumatic event. Um, But what I meant by that is like you really need that pivotal moment in your life where it's a realization that, you know, you don't have any other choice. So you better get with the program. And I definitely had that. And and one thing I do want to say about about meetings is there are all kinds. Yes, there are people who've lost everything. There are people who've lost nothing, you know, that, but but it is not for everybody. And if you go in and you don't relate and you are perfectly happy without doing it, I always say people just do whatever works for them. Do, do you think it's required willpower to not drink or do you think it's been something spiritual? What do you credit for your ability to do that? 
I think in terms of notch, and just to you know go to your point, I definitely think there's lots of different formulas for success when you're trying to tackle the not drinking thing. For me, it was the reason why I didn't want AA to be my route, at least for me personally, is I live in New York City. I'm a 27 year old. I'm single male. And, you know, if I was going to not go out, go to AA, not do enjoy all the things that people live in New York City for, I might as well just move back home or like move to Ohio and do nothing and hide under a rock. Uh, and I wasn't I didn't want that to be my life. I told myself, I'm going to do what I came out here to set to do, which was build a incredible tech company. Um, you know, I want to start a venture fund and all these things. I want to meet a bunch of people. I still want to go to the clubs and bars and hang out with fun people. And it just won't be a part of my life. So I found different things from watching YouTube videos. I subscribed to this channel where this guy was like, he doesn't drink, but he seemed really cool. Um, I would look at sub or Reddit, uh, which is a, has a really great community for a lot of different things. They have a subreddit called Stop Drinking. And I didn't comment. I was more of like a lurker, but I would read this read this every single day. And I just would watch people say stories that resembled my life. And it it was soothing to me in the sense that I knew that other people had this issue. Um, but really for myself, like I would attribute everything to May 20th, 2017, because that was the moment where I was like, I will never do this again. And I never want to feel like this again. Wow. I, um, I will say, and I don't mean to be like, um, Tiger Mom correcty here, but there are plenty of people who are going to 12-step meetings in places like New York and going out and doing tons and tons of other stuff. There's, I, I do think that there's this misconception that it's like you can do that and then you have to hide out in your room because, oh my God, alcohol and you just have to avoid it. And it's like, no, absolutely not. I've from you know I've been sober over 18 years and from the beginning up until this weekend, I'm out, I'm doing the exact same things that people who are drinking are doing. I'm just not drinking. Yeah. No, I mean, I 100% agree with you. The um, ever, Some people could, could have stayed in it longer. I think for me, it was just like, I don't think this is for me. I'm going to try doing it without it. Because uh, okay. I have had friends that go through the programs and when you have sponsors and whatever, they'll they'll tell you to, you know, you don't, you, you don't want to be around the party. You don't want to hang out with people, especially like within your first 30 or 60, 90 days. Right. But for me, it was like, I think two weekends after I would just go to the club, my friends would be getting bottle service and I was so miserable and I just wanted to, it's like an exposure response therapy. If you sit through it enough to where you're so uncomfortable that, you know, it just kind of washes over you and you, it just doesn't bother me at this point. Uh, it's not even something that I think about. Yeah. Again, here I go. If a sponsor says stay away from that, you know, everybody, sponsors are not medically certified. Everybody's saying all kinds of things. I don't even call my sponsor anymore. Like, um, it, you know, I think we all have to make it work for us. And if people, I, God, I suddenly feel like I've become this like AA preacher, which I really <laughs> don't want to be. Uh, but I'm just saying, you know, I think for each of us, it's taking a little bit from here, a little bit from there. Um, so do you think you just, it was sitting through the discomfort that made you able to kind of push to the other side? Yeah. I mean, sitting through the discomfort in what sense, like when I was going out, yeah. I mean, that's what you just said. It's like you would go out and, um, yeah, I think so. So like, 
So I'll give an example. Uh, like people, when you go out on the weekend, right, regardless of who has a drinking problem and who doesn't, you go out and you go get drinks because you want to relax. Maybe on the weekend, you're like trying to meet a girl or meet a guy and you, you know, you want to be able to loosen up and have good conversations. What I had just set my, my personal mindset was I want to be able to do all that and not need a drink. And yeah. I think, you know, before alcohol was even introduced, right, people were having to do this. And I think it's because at such a young age, I had only learned to do all of those things, whether it's party to socialize, to network uh, with having a drink or being drunk. And it was like learning to have to walk again. And yeah. for me, I just was very consistent about it and about going out, meeting new people, putting myself in uncomfortable situations to where it just, you know, you get over it. It's like the example that I can relate it to is, is public speaking. You know, I don't like public speaking. So do a lot of people, they fear it more than death. And the more times you public speak, the better you get at it and the less nervous you get. And so that's the yeah. kind of mentality that I had. Mm. And let me ask you this. So this decision to sort of come out and talk about your own experience, like you are a, you know, a tech guru guy, CEO, this is not something you have to do. What was this decision about? Uh, in terms of not drinking? Yeah, in terms of like sharing your story. You're not somebody that people would expect to, um, you know, what made you decide to sort of start talking to me and start sharing your story? Yeah, so um, one thing that I've always really believed in is like paying it forward. And I think ever since I stopped drinking and like on Instagram, people would see me out at a club or whatever, they'd message me and say, you know, hey, Kevin, like, how, how do you do what you do? And what I realized was there's a lot of people who, you know, maybe they don't have an issue like as bad as I did, um, but it's something that they've been thinking about. And I want to help all those people with like all the tactics and tricks that I learned because I feel like, and maybe it wouldn't have changed anything, but I think if I had a resource like myself, uh, someone that I could relate to, it would have been a lot easier to go through it. And now I have, a lot of personal friends that have reached out to me and I try and be, I guess, their version of a sponsor, uh, if you will. And, you know, I think it's it's really incredible what you do with the podcast, like spreading different success stories. And, you know, I'm only two years in, right? Compared to 18 years, it's, it's, it's nothing. But I think I have a really good strategy in, you know, how to accomplish my goals and not have that be a part of my life anymore. And I'm hoping to spread the word of, you know, the things that I've done. Uh, as fast as possible. And we spoke briefly. So when's your book? Since that's what my company does. Um, because I think a book like by someone like you in this area would be incredibly helpful and incredibly original. So when are we doing it? Uh, I don't know. You tell me. Um, <laughs> um, you said it's on your bucket list. Um, so t tell me a little bit about that. Like, uh, is that, is, would you want it to be a book about, I mean, here, here's what I think. A book about, because because you're a strategy guy, the strategies for staying sober and how they're the same as the strategies for starting a business. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I looked at your book title, right? It's like how to become successful by fucking up your life. I yeah. thought that that was an incredible title. Um, and I thought a, a lot of different things. I mean, the book that I originally had in my bucket list was more about all the learnings and, uh, you know, mess ups that I did starting this company and really tactical strategies for others to to not go through what I did and save, you know, a like save millions of dollars in cash, or whatever, or save, you know, seven months in time. Because in the starter phase, 
you know, mistakes will really put you back. And sometimes it may just shut the company down. Um, but I think that there's definitely ways that you could combine both. Um, and it's not something I'm opposed to. I think it just matters about, you know, how much time, right? Because if you're going to, if you're going to write a book, it's not something that you do in a weekend or two. Um, right. So yeah, it's probably something that we could talk about more uh, and see how much time commitment, but I'd, I'd definitely love to, to talk about it further. Okay. Well, Kevin, you have been an absolute delight. I'm so glad we did this. If people want to find out more information about uh, your company, it's Catalyst Software. Yes. Getcatalyst.io. And then you can see my LinkedIn there, um, but I'll make sure to get a website as you uh, had told me. And then, yeah, it's Catalyst Software. GetCatalyst.co. I'm putting this up on the screen. Uh, and dot .io, sorry. Dot, dot .io. And what about if people want to follow you personally? Yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram, uh, which is KVN underscore CHIU. And then I think it's the same thing for Twitter. Okay, look at that. I got it up on the screen. Yeah. Um, Jordan is saying, awesome story, Kevin, and best of luck, man. Um, so, yes, Kevin, thank you so much. Plus, Jordan, Richard, Gonzalez, Stewart, everybody else who showed up. I will see you soon. And, um, Kevin, thank you. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Bye. Bye.